But if I could come down there right now and say, if everyone were to follow your example, would our church be weak or would it be strong? Hello, and welcome to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan, and is led by Pastor Daniel White. Pastor White has been serving as the senior pastor since its founding in 1998. We hope the message today will be a help and encouragement as you seek to become more like Jesus Christ in your everyday life. This and many other messages by Pastor White can be downloaded for free. Just visit our website at www fbcclarklake.org or visit us on iTunes where our weekly podcasts can be downloaded for free. Now let us take our Bibles and join Pastor White as he continues to teach us God's truths today. The Bible says death has no hold or mastery over him and because he lives we also shall live. That song that they just sang fits so beautifully with the message this morning. Because in the context of our message, it was the Lord Jesus that was foretelling his death, his burial, and his glorious resurrection. And that he must die, but he would rise again and he would build his church. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, a very familiar passage of scripture. And today we will talk about how to have a strong church. A couple weeks ago, we looked at having a strong spiritual life individually. Last week, we looked at having a strong spiritual family. And this week, we're going to look at having a strong spiritual church. And so let me ask you a question before we get started. Is Fellowship Baptist Church a strong church? Are we or aren't we? Craig, I think you can turn me down just a little bit. I think I maybe have these monitors on, and so I'm very uh, loud up here in my own ears. I always like it when I can adjust my own volume. Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13, and I'll read through verse 17. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, if you know anything about Caesarea Philippi, called Caesar's town by Philip, Caesarea. Uh, There are all kinds of pagan temples. Actually, they tell us that all the major pagan religions of the world were, were represented here in Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus comes to the coast, not that it was a seacoast city, but he comes to the outskirts and the city kind of set down into a valley. So we believe he is probably up on the mountainside there and And he was speaking to his disciples, and in the background were all these pagan, all the religions of the world. I want to tell you something, Jesus stands above all the religions of the world. And so they came to the coast, Jesus asked, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, and other Elias, and other Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, Whom say ye? That I am. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I'll take verse 18 too. And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, that, that confession that Peter just made concerning Christ, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not 
prevail against it. Heavenly Father, I pray you'd bless the preaching of your word today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What makes a strong church? Do you have any idea what makes up a strong church? Well, I'll just go on record by saying this. You cannot tell the strength of the church by looking at the building and grounds. You can't tell the strength of the church by looking at the size of the congregation. The only way that we are able to determine the spiritual strength of the church is by looking at what Jesus said is essential to have a strong church. Now, do you want to have a strong church, members? I do. I want the Lord to look at Fellowship Baptist Church and say that is a strong spiritual church made up of strong spiritual individuals and families. After all, he is the builder of the church, isn't he? I will build my church. When Jesus asked the disciples who they thought that he was, the world was confused as to who he was. They had all different kinds of ideas. But he said, who do you say that I am? Immediately, Peter spoke up and said, thou art the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the promised one. You're the one that all the Old Testament prophets foretold would come. Thou art the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And on this statement, Jesus said, I will build my church. If you remove that truth as the foundation of the church, the church crumbles. And the church becomes absolutely nothing more than a man-made institution. But the church is not a man-made institution. Man did not create it in his own mind. Man did not design it. Man did not establish it. This was a God thing. Give me an amen. For we are laborers together with God. We are God's husbandry. We are God's building. We are the church. According to the grace of God, which has given me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another hath built thereupon. But let every man take heed how he build thereupon. For no, for no other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Christ alone is the foundation of his church. You say, what does that mean? It means that Christ alone, he guards his church. Christ alone protects his church. And it is Christ alone that grows his church into a strong spiritual building. The Bible said, and he hath put all things under his feet, the Lord Jesus, and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Who is the head of the church? It's not the pastor, it's not a board of deacons, it's not the congregation, it's not some ruling body of elders. Who is the head of Christ's church? I can't hear you, what? Jesus. And Jesus alone is the head of his church. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and the Savior of the body. And he Christ is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things in his church he must have the preeminence. 
Do you believe that Christ is all-powerful? Do you really believe that? That he is an omnipotent, that he is an almighty God? The book of the Revelation opens. I wish more of you attended the Wednesday night service. But we're now going through the book of the Revelation, and the book of the Revelation opens in chapter 1 with John seeing the vision of the glorified Christ, and he identifies himself as the Almighty God. We have an Almighty God who has built his church on an Almighty foundation that will never be moved and will never be destroyed. All the forces of hell, all the powers of evil will never destroy the church of Jesus Christ. The proof of that is as you look through how the church has been persecuted throughout history. No matter what the gates of hell throw at the church, it has never been able to overpower it and destroy it. Even death, the death of our Christian martyrs, has not destroyed the church. Their blood, though spilt, only fueled the flames of revival. And the church continues to this day. Wednesday night, we're now in our study of the seven churches. On Wednesday night, we were looking at the church at Smyrna, the persecuted church. And just let me read to you a portion of this. And this is a review for all of you who are here on Wednesday night. And under the angel, who was the angel? Was the pastor, the pastor responsible to deliver this message to his people. And unto the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. That song that those young people just sang. I know thy works. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. But you're really rich spiritually. He said, I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews, but are not, but are the, of the synagogue of Satan. Synagogue of Satan. The gates of the hell were trying to prevail against the Smyrna church. But were they successful? He said, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. I wonder how many of you would be here today that we'd be faithful to our God if persecution were to be unleashed and the gates of hell were to erupt against the church in America today. I wonder how many of you would stand faithful and firm and will still worship your Savior. I wonder how many of you would, would, would be here today if you knew that by coming to the house of the Lord you were putting yourself in jeopardy of being arrested and being put in prison. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil, the gates of hell, shall cast you into prison, and ye shall be tried, and ye shall have an, an, an intense time of persecution was coming that was ten days in duration. And ye shall have tribulation ten days, but be thou faithful unto death. Even death cannot destroy the church. 
Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. The man that was delivering that message to the church, his name was Polycarp. And I asked, was he not? How many of you ever heard of Polycarp? And I was surprised at the number of hands that went up. How many of you today have ever heard of Polycarp? Pastor Polycarp, the pastor at the church of Smyrna, listen to this account. History has left us with an account of the death of one of the Smyrna believers by the name of Polycarp. Polycarp was the pastor at Smyrna, so he was reading his own death sentence when he read this letter to his church. Polycarp was the pastor at Smyrna, and in a letter addressed to the church at Smyrna, to the churches of the Christian world, it is related that the Jews joined with the pagans in clamoring that Polycarp be cast to the lions or be burned alive. The following is an account of the death of Polycarp. It was the time of the public games. The city was crowded and the crowds were excited. Suddenly a shout went up, away with the atheist. The reason they called him an atheist, he would not worship the pagan gods. Let Polycarp be searched for. The night before, Polycarp had a dream in which he saw the pillow under his head burning with fire and was awakened to tell his disciples, I must be burnt alive. Polycarp's whereabouts was betrayed by a slave who collapsed under torture. Polycarp was arrested, but not even the captain of the guard wanted Polycarp to die. On the brief journey to the city, he pleaded with the old man to confess Caesar as Lord and to offer sacrifice to him and be saved. Polycarp was adamant that for him only Jesus was Lord. Upon entering the arena, Polycarp was given the choice of cursing the name of Christ and making sacrifice to Caesar or death. Eighty-six years, Polycarp said, have I served my Lord? He has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? You threaten me with fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched. For you do not know the fire that awaits the wicked in the judgment to come and in everlasting punishment. Why are you waiting? Come and do what you will. I am ready to meet my Savior. Polycarp's final request, leave me as I am, for he who gives me the power to endure the fire will grant me to remain in the flames, unmoved, even without the security of these bonds. And Polycarp died in the fire, singing praises to our Lord and to our Savior. Let me tell you something. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. When we see that phrase, the gates of hell, it's the only time that it's found in the Bible is in our text there in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. And I want to give you understanding of, of what is meant here by the gates of hell. At the time, Jesus had not yet established his church. He said, I will build my church. It is still future. He talked about his death. He talked about his resurrection. And then he talked about uh, building his church. Uh, the word church, the word church was used by Jesus and was taken from the Greek language was the 
you'd say the universal language, like English is like the universal language today. Greek was the universal language of that day. And Jesus pulled this word out, church, is the word ekklesia, which means a called out assembly. In other words, the church that Jesus was referring to was an assembly of people called out of the world by the gospel. Are you with me today? Called out of this world by the gospel. Paul said, whereunto he called you by our gospel. When the gospel goes forth and it is believed and a person turns from their sin and repents and, and turns to Christ as the only means of salvation, that person is born again. That person is redeemed. That person is given a home in heaven. And that person becomes part of the church of Jesus Christ. In ancient times, the, the cities were always surrounded by walls with gates. Walls with gates. And if a battle was to ensue, obviously it would be more difficult to break down the wall than it would be to break down the, to break down the gate. So this is usually where the, the attack would take place, where the assault would come, would be at the gates because the gates provided protection for the city and the gates literally determined the strength of that city. So the gates of hell was understood in the minds of the disciples. What Jesus was saying is that all the powers of Satan take the devil and all of his principalities and power and, and might and dominions, take them all, and they will not prevail against my church. Hell is represented as a mighty city, and it is a mighty city. Why don't you understand something? Our God is greater. Our God is greater. Our God is more powerful. Our God is more omnipotent than all the gates of hell. In this context, as I said earlier, Jesus is, Jesus is talking about his impending death, his resurrection, and then the building of his church. The church was birthed with power 50 days after his resurrection at the day of Pentecost, which means 50. When the believers were baptized by the Holy Spirit, indwelt by him and infilled by him, Acts chapter 2. Not only, not only was Christ's church established in spite of all the powers of hell, but Christ's church has thrived despite all of the powers of hell. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Bring it on, devil. Bring it on. The church will never fail. Christ's true church will never fail. Generation after generation will succumb to the power of physical death. Is it appointed unto man once to die? But another generation arises and the church perpetuates itself from generation to generation. And Christ will continue to build his church until the trumpet sounds.
despite all of Satan's attempts to destroy it, it prevails. And when that trumpet sounds, the church will be raptured out of this world. And forever we will be with our Lord. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me. He didn't say all power belongs to the devil and his principalities. No! The gates of hell will not prevail against the power of Christ. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen, the Bible says. And I say amen to that too. Praise God, the church thrives, even in the day and age in which we live. The gates of hell, listen, the gates of hell, listen, the gates of hell are not strong enough to overpower and destroy the church of the living God. Oh, Satan has power. No question about that. But he's not all-powerful. And though he will use all of his power to destroy the church, he'll never succeed. He'll never succeed. We have this promise. Boy, it sure looks like he's lo we're losing a few battles. But you know the song, I've read the back of the book, and we win. Glory to God. Well, why will Satan never be able to destroy the church? Because the church, the body of Christ, we accomplish our work under the authority and power of an almighty God through the infilling and dwelling presence of his Holy Spirit. That's why he'll never succeed. So to all those who today oppose to all the humanists who oppose, to all the secularists that oppose, to all of our ungodly, wicked judges in our land who oppose, to this current administration who opposes, be it known unto you under the authority of the word of God itself. Jesus said, you do err, not knowing the scriptures or the power of God. Christ alone. Christ alone desires to guide his church, to direct every decision that is made according to his will. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Since we are part of the body of Christ, the church, listen to me. We need to understand what makes a strong church. And as I sought the mind and the heart and the will of God, all that I've said so far has simply been introduction to these next ten points. 
And I'm not going to belabor these 10 points. And all of you say, yeah, right. But there are 10 things that the Bible delineates that make for a strong church. And I want you to understand it. And I need to understand it. Because as this church goes forward, we must go forward in the strength and the power of our Almighty God, not the wisdom of men. Number one thing that makes for a strong church is spirit-filled leadership. Spirit-filled leadership. When Jesus gave his disciples the commission to make disciples of all nations and to baptize them and to teach them to observe all things, listen, there's no one who is adequate to fulfill the Great Commission. Nobody. We have to be spirit-empowered. We, we have to be spirit-empowered. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, And behold, I send the promise of the Father unto you, but tarry ye in Jerusalem, listen, until ye be endued with power from on high. What was he talking about? He was talking about the indwelling and the filling of the Spirit of God upon his church. In the same way, in the same way, no church member is adequate to fulfill their calling apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit. No one. So from the pastor on down to the nursery worker, praise God for nursery workers. We must be endued with power from on high. That's what makes a strong church is a spirit-filled church. Say, well, what do I have to do to be spirit-filled? I'm so glad you asked. There's no way that I have all the time to read all these verses. But kind of pick up on some of these things as I read through them. To be a spirit-filled, first of all, you have to purpose that you're going to live a holy life. You have to yield yourself to the Lord. You have to renew your mind daily in the Word of God. You have to make no provision for the flesh. You've got to flee temptation. You've got to resist Satan by continually submitting to God every moment of the day. You can never give Satan ground in your life. Ever. You have to keep your thoughts centered on things which are above. Your, your affections set on things which are above. You have to keep your sin confessed, your conscience clear. You have to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit when he prompts you. You need to avoid grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit through disobedience. And then you need to ask the Spirit of God to fill you every single day. We must be Spirit-filled. Come on, wake up some of you, please. Unless... We are all spirit-filled Christians and understand what it means to be spirit-filled. And I do understand this. There's some of you here today, you, you don't even know what it means to be a spirit-filled Christian because it's been so long since you've been spirit-filled, spirit-controlled, spirit-guided, spirit-led, spirit-prompted, that you don't, what I'm even saying right now is foreign to you. I want to tell you, you need help in your Christian life. 
If you want to be a spirit-filled Christian, you come tell pastor, I need some discipleship. If we're going to have a strong church, we all, from the pastor on down, we all have to be spirit-filled. Amen? Number two, to have a strong spiritual church, there must be doctrinally sound messages that are preached that meet the needs of people. Doctrinally sound messages, not the feel-good messages, but doctrinally sound messages would meet people's needs. You say, what, what, what do you mean, Pastor, about doctrinally sound messages? I'm talking about not only does the belief of the church have to originate from the Bible, but the preaching and the teaching of the church has to go directly back to the Bible. Do you all understand that? You cannot have a strong church where the doctrines of the church do not come from the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God is not based upon the principles of Scripture. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who should judge the quick and the dead at his appearing, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Church has to be doctrinally sound. Preaching has to be doctrinally rooted. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of folks, they don't, they don't like doctrine. Doctrine is the word for which we get the word doctor. When we're sick, where do we go to get help? I want to tell you something. We're all spiritually sick and we need help. We go to the doctrine. It makes us strong. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I believe that time's upon us right now. But after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of the ministry. What is full proof of the ministry? Doctrinally sound belief and teaching. Now I want to say this. That doesn't mean that we all are going to agree on every single interpretation of every single passage of Scripture. I wish you all would agree with me on everything, but it's your prerogative to be wrong. I'll give you that. But listen, mature Christians, grow up. Grow up, for goodness sakes. Mature Christians can disagree on some of the minor issues. Still submit to pastoral authority and refuse to sow division, which God hates in his church. No one has an absolute handle on every doctrine of Scripture. But we can agree on what we believe are the fundamentals. Are you with me there? I remember seeing a picture one time of these two preachers, and there was a hair, and they were, they were splitting this hair. One was on one side and one was on the other. They were splitting this hair, and in the background were all these people going into hell. There's some things we don't need to split on, but then there's some other things that do divide us. But when it comes to the historical fundamentals of the faith, listen. Do you want to know what they are? Okay, good. Glad one person does, because I was, whether you did or not, I was going to tell you. Is the inspiration, the preservation, and the authority of this book. 
Number two, the Trinity. Number three, the attributes of God. Number four, the deity of Christ. The virgin birth, the resurrection, the existence of angels, the existence of demons, the existence of Satan, a literal heaven, a literal hell, the depravity of man. Salvation by grace through faith apart from the works of the law. The ordinance of baptism in the Lord's table, separation from worldliness, separation from religious apostasy, the autonomy of the local church. Government, stay out of the church affairs. Separation of church and state, the, police, the priesthood of the believer. Many don't even know, priesthood of the believer, soul liberty. We have the right to interpret the scripture according to the dictates of our own heart. The sovereignty of God, the premillennial rapture of the church, the second advent of Jesus Christ, and the millennial reign of our Lord and Savior, when he is crowned the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There can be no disagreement on these fundamentals of the faith. Spirit-filled leadership, doctrinally sound in theology and in preaching and teaching. Number three, uncompromising convictions. To have a strong church, it has to be composed of people who are steadfast in their convictions. So what do you mean by that, Pastor? You're not afraid to stand up against public ridicule and opposition for your faith. You will uphold the unwavering truths of the Word of God no matter what. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable. A strong church is a church where the members are steadfast and unmovable. Paul said to the church at Corinth, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, and be strong. Have some convictions, have some backbone, stand up for what is right. Number four, to have a strong church, there has to be a strong emphasis on faith and prayer. We are to pray in faith. When a church has people who are filled with faith, let me tell you something, you can't be a part of this church without having your faith increased. Everything that you see here at Fellowship Baptist Church has been birthed out of faith. It's totally been incapable of man doing what God has done here at Fellowship Baptist Church. I'll tell you what, our young people, our teenagers, they should never once question the promises of God as they look at Fellowship Baptist Church and what God has done. But when a church is committed to faith, when a church is committed to prayer, I'm here to tell you the power of the Holy Spirit will flow in and through that church. It'll be a strong church. The Bible says in the book of Acts, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Every member of Fellowship Baptist Church needs to cultivate a daily time where you spend time with the Lord in His Word and in prayer when your faith becomes increased. Listen, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It is in those quiet times that we all must have. It's in those quiet times where we develop an intimacy with God 
a relationship with God. Jesus said, But when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which is in secret shall reward thee openly. When we listen to God, we listen to this book, when we spend time in it personally, and we have our prayer time, I'm here to tell you God gives us an understanding of life and the purpose of life. He tells us what to do. He tells us where to go. He tells us how to live. His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. David said, search me, O God, and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and I will look up. If we're going to have a strong church, we have to be people that are strong in faith. Strong in prayer. Number five, we're halfway there. We have a strong church has to have a worship service where people experience God's presence, where, where they're renewed in their commitment to obey and to serve him. We've chosen Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, as a time when we collectively gather together as members of Fellowship Baptist Church, the Church of Christ, to give our full attention on the Lord and on His Word and upon worshiping Him. Our music ministry is important. We always put it before the preaching of the Word of God. Why? Because it prepares us, it renews us in our commitment to obey and serve God. It opens our heart. It exalts and honors the Lord. It doesn't exalt and honor the performer. It results then in the edification of the entire body. And now we're ready to hear from God. I'll tell you something. We serve a holy God. Our music ought to be holy music. Speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and Spiritual songs. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. God did not design us to be sitting in a tree stand this morning on the second day of deer season worshiping him in psalms. God doesn't want you to worship him independently of others. He wants us to worship him collectively together. That makes for a strong church. Forsake not the assembly of yourselves together. You've heard, you've heard me preach this a gazillion times. Here goes gazillion one. When you make other things more important than collectively coming together and worshiping the Lord on the Lord's day, when he said forsake not, that's exactly what he meant. He didn't say go to this show. He didn't say go shopping here. He didn't say have a, have a family, a get together over here. He didn't say go to the fair. He didn't say, work. Matter of fact, he said, don't work. He didn't say, do your business. 
He said, no, you come together. I'm going to tell you something. When you, especially as parents, and you have that attitude about the Lord's house, what you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. Next time will be gazillion two. Number six is faithful and generous giving to the Lord's work. A strong church has faithful and generous giving to the Lord's work. We not only are strong in our worship, but our worship must involve giving and sacrifice. Are you with me? I will not offer unto the Lord that which cost me nothing. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. And prove me herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out to you a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Listen, if you have chosen to obediently follow Christ, and you are infilled with the Holy Spirit, you will be a generous giver. Every man, according to his purpose in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Do you believe it's more blessed to give than to receive? Do you really? Do you really? A strong church believes that. Number seven, a strong church has people who have a heart and desire to serve in the strength of the spiritual gifts that God has given them. God has given to each and every one of us who know him a spiritual gift to use in and through his church. The Bible said, having then gifts differing, we all have different gifts, using them together for the glory of God, the advancement of the church. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Listen, let me tell you something. Get involved in your church. Get involved in your church. Don't be a spectator. Be a participant. When we all are operating with the gifts that the Lord has given us, let me tell you something. We have a dynamic church. Strong. Strong church. That's why we need each other, and we need each other's spiritual gifts. To be working together for the praise and the honor and glory of God. Number eight. A strong spiritual church is a unified church. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Let me tell you, don't, don't, don't let anything divide us. Amen. If you stop and think about this, the church is composed of different races of people. All are immigrants. They've all come from different places all over this world. Come from different languages, different backgrounds, different cultures. We have different likes. We have different dislikes. But we're all to be one in the body of Christ. Listen to me. This was so good the Lord gave this to me. I wrote it down. I'm going to read it to you exactly as the Lord gave it to me. Therefore, we must guard against letting individual differences and preferences divide us. The church, our mission and our purpose is bigger than our differences.
I also will say this, unity is maintained when problems do arise, go to the source of your problem and get it resolved. You know what people usually do? They come to me. Pastor, I think you need to know about this problem. Well, why do I need to know about it? Because you're the pastor. All right. How does God want us to handle it? God wants us to bring it to you. Huh. God wants you to bring it to the person you have a problem with. Then if it can't be resolved, okay, I may get involved. No matter how diverse we are, our goal should always be to love one another, to help one another, and to strengthen one another. And if you don't like somebody in the church, ask God to help you love them. And when you don't like this preacher, you know what? That's okay. I'm not here to be liked. I got over that years ago. But though you may not like me, you have to love me. And though I may not like you, I have to love you. And that leads us to number nine. A strong church has a genuine love for one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love, one for another. Listen, love is the glue that sticks us together. If I have a problem with you, I'm coming to you. You have a problem with me, come to me. Don't tell someone else. You come to me, we'll get that thing worked out, and guess what we'll do? We'll love each other more afterwards. Ask Phil Westheimer and I. I love Phil so much. I have no idea why. It's a grace of God. And I know that Phil loves me with all of his heart. He's probably saying, I don't know why I love that preacher either. but anyone that can grow up together. Like Phil and I have grown up together. Through the hard and through the difficult times and the butting of heads and the disagreements. And be to this place 30 plus years later where I'm still his pastor and he's still under my authority sometimes. And <laughs> we're still worshiping the Lord together. Listen to me. That's the way it ought to be. You know what? You listen to me. You're not going to divide Phil Westheimer and myself. Number 10. And we're done. A strong church has to have a vision for a lost and dying world. Go ye into all the world. Talking to a missionary yesterday. Told him what our faith promise was last year, what it is this year. And he just was like, you have got to be kidding me. Then he asked me a question. Are all your needs always met? Always. 
when we have a heart to see souls saved and missions advanced and the kingdom of God established, I'm here to tell you, my God, my almighty God, will supply all of our needs. When a body of believers are committed to fulfilling the Great Commission, God gets involved in that church. All right, I'm done. Now it's your turn. What are you going to do with what you've just heard? If everyone were to follow... I should never say I'm done because people start going... I'm not done. I lied. But if I could come down there right now and say, if everyone were to follow your example, would our church be weak or would it be strong? If everyone were to follow your example, would our church be weak or would it be strong? Can our church be stronger than it is? Yes or no? All right. That depends on you. Thank you for listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you've missed any messages or would like to hear this one again, just visit our website at www.fbcclarklake.org or visit us on iTunes where you can subscribe for free to our weekly podcast. If this or any other message has been an encouragement to you, we would love to hear about it. Just send us a note on our website. If you do not currently have a church you are attending, we would love to have you come visit us here at Fellowship Baptist. We are located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan, 49234. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, and we look forward to seeing you here again next time. Have a great day, and God bless.